Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Welcome, Intimates. The author, podcaster, and blogger Kat Stark is back for another session. We talk about bisexuality, queerness, pegging, the fear of not being queer enough, heteromantic queer orientations, queer sex, being genderqueer, and the having a complicated wardrobe that comes with it, and we touch on BDSM bottoming and service bottoming. You can find Kat Stark at onthewetcoast.com, and you can look, at, look for their book on Amazon, Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut. And as always, remember to tell your friends if you like the podcast, and feel free to write a review if you really like the episode to help other geeks find us. Let me know if you prefer the intros that sound scripted versus the ones that sound off the cuff. You can email me at podcast at victorsalmon.com and feel free to engage with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash intimate interactions. Thanks so much and enjoy the session. Welcome intimates to another session with Kat Stark, the author, podcaster, and blogger at onthewetcoast.com on Twitter as at wetcoastcat with a K. I had to think about that one so I didn't mess it up again. <laughs> and author of the book Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, we were going to talk about some queerness and gender stuff. I love the, that we're like, gender stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, that stuff. Yeah, it is, it is that stuff. <laughs> it is that stuff. For sure. I'm curious when you had your first queer thoughts. I... I don't even know that I registered them as queer thoughts because mm -hmm. yeah, I, I can't say, you know, definitively until my, my twenties that I, you know, was like, Oh, Hey, like I am not straight. You know, I'm bisexual. Once I, I learned that word um, because it was, yeah, the early nineties and that kind of thing was just becoming part of the lexicon and it just wasn't there when I was young. But I, I definitely, I used to sneak down into my brother's room, and this is telling of my age, I would look at his porno mags, and I tended to really focus on the ones that were like two women together. And that, you know, I would look at the other stuff, but I was really focused on 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 two women or occasionally like way more women than that. And, and that was definitely my preference mm -hmm. when I was looking at that stuff. And I didn't I didn't really grok that that was anything. Right. Um, and I think because I had, I'd heard the term lesbian and that sort of thing, but I knew I liked boys. So clearly I wasn't mm -hmm. that. So right. I had no, those were the only options. Yeah. And so I had no place to really put that, but it was definitely, you know, when I think back to that time and, and talking about um, previously about, you know, being as quiet as you could, you know, in your room, because it was a house full of people. I, it was the same thing. I would sneak down and, you know, mm -hmm. desperately hope not to be caught, like with a magazine in my hands, uh, looking at this stuff. And um, yeah, it, I, yeah, I didn't have a place for it, but that definitely was, was there for me. Um, probably, yeah, probably as young as like 12, 13. Wow. Um, Do you remember when you had your first BDSM thoughts, if you had any? Hmm. Those definitely would have been a lot later. Mine were earlier. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, that wasn't really something I understood I was into. Again, probably not until my 20s mm -hmm. and became just, again, aware that it was a, even a thing. And, and I guess, you know, I, I watched a lot of Wonder Woman and, you know, um, <laughs> you know, people being tied up. I like, I don't remember that pinging for me in particular. Um, when I think back of like fantasies, like, you know, 
ravishment fantasies or or that sort of thing like definitely being bound is a piece of that but that is that wasn't the part of what what was hot what was hot for me right it was more about this is a means to an end yeah it's about know. the detention it's about the lack of control it's not yeah. really about whether or not it's being restrained yeah it's, it's just the whatever. helplessness and the right. yeah all that sort of thing yeah the awesome. restrained because with my physical self i'm actually not that great with being restrained because like as soon as i don't want to be restrained like i start to panic Mm because like i need to be out now i in fact need to be out like five minutes ago kind of thing so it's not something i explore very much um because it's yeah just my the way that my brain and body work Mm -hmm. so that time from when you first discovered queerness to when you first decided to experiment queerness Mm -hmm. that's a long that was a long time Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Because I, I, my friends would all tell stories about how, you know, they would make out with their girlfriends, you know, would like practice kissing and stuff like that. And yeah, our friends didn't do any of that. And I always felt kind of ripped off that that wasn't, (laughs) I'm like, I would have done that. Nobody wanted to make out. I would totally would have been into making out. I love that it's called practicing making out, you know, for boys. And oh, such, yeah, right? exactly. Oh, for sure. Re- yeah. Rehearsing for our, right. our, our eventual husbands. Of course. Like <laughs> rehearsing what it feels like to give each other head, you know, yeah. finger banging, etc. All yeah. in the name of science, yeah. of course. Strictly heterosexual science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I missed out on that. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny how sometimes you hear like these amazing teenage stories and you're like, you had good teenage years. Mine were hell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like none of that was happening for me. Yep. They're like those few people though, that you talk to them and you're just like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you first feel like, cause you, you obviously experimented a bit with queer sex, probably sometime in your sexual renaissance slash marriage renaissance, I'm assuming, or was it before then? Um, it was long before then. It was like in the early years of our marriage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so do you mind telling me like roughly how old you would have been then? Um, I probably would have been like, like 23, 24. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was like about a, a decade or so in between when you first sort of were looking at women and going, this is really hot to when you were like, oh, oh, I can just explore this thing. Yeah. Hmm. So when did you first feel like you'd had, quote unquote, queer sex? I think at that point in my early 20s, like, you know, my first time with a woman, you know, neither of us knew what we were doing. We were both drunk. Uh, Just, you know, that sort of usual thing to get the inhibitions down. And I had been wanting it to happen for quite a while. And she'd sort of made indications that she did. But I was more like, it's like, okay, well, let's make this happen then Mm -hmm. um and so you know we fooled around a lot and i remember that i went down on her not because i was especially like excited about it but i was just like i have to do this because what if this is my only opportunity (laughs) um so it was like like, this is an experience i need to have had so if i'm if i'm here like i'm going for it um so yeah i feel like that was that would have been my my first experience of queer sex. So do you feel like non-monogamy impacted queer sex or queer sex impacted non-monogamy or both? Uh, I think I think non-monogamy definitely affected my queer sex because it made me much more aware of how queer I am because for the longest time I had always just been yeah, I'm like I'm mostly into guys and I I like I find certain women attractive and and I'm into that and you know when we had a lot of threesomes like I definitely really enjoy women's bodies and and that sort of thing but I just it wasn't wasn't something I craved necessarily and that was kind of the difference for me um I like I tend to crave masculine bodies like mm. there's there's something just really compelling about that for me I hadn't heard the term until uh I think it was on a uh a savage love cast that he said like bisexual heteroromantic and i went oh yeah okay that right. there we go that that uh tells me who i am because yeah i wasn't really ever looking for you know 
a romantic relationship with with any of the women that I had experiences with. Mm -hmm. And then when we met uh, Iris, who was the woman that I was in a triad with, with my partner Flick for um, probably like a year and a half, maybe. um, Mm -hmm. I like I wanted things with her that I had never felt about other women. So I was just like constantly reevaluating. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I am more queer. And then when that ended, I was like, no, no, that that was just an anomaly. And kind of, <laughs> you know, went back to went back to my right. groove. But then, you know, just was constantly having sex with women. And um, when I would go to play parties and that sort of thing, it was only sex with women or non-binary folks or right. uh, that sort of thing. That, so non-men. Yes. Yeah. Not cis men. Like everybody except <coughs> cis dudes was basically. Which is um, interesting when you said how sexually attracted you were to masculine bodies. Yeah. Um, but there's something about yeah, I definitely, I wrote about this because I was like trying to work my brain through it. And I'm sure, you know, a big piece of it is safety. Mm. Um, I can feel safe with other people like in a way that I can't with a cis guy that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I can dive into the lady pile like so easily um, with someone I've met like five minutes ago right. that I would never, ever consider doing with a cis guy that I'd met five minutes ago. I feel very similarly. Yeah. And so as much as I really craved the bodies of, of the men that I was craving. Yeah. It's just not that like I need safety. Yeah. And I need that. And I just, I need so much more. I need to be attracted to them so much more to be willing to, Hmm. to go there with them than I am. Like I can, I can look at like probably almost any, femme-coded, you know, woman or non-binary person and think that they're hot or actually even, yeah, even trans men and, and, uh, yeah, um, other people that, that fit in the gender spectrum. Like I can, I can find almost anybody attractive, like fairly quickly. Um, but cis men, I'm like, "Ah, really? Like, like, unless they just really ping that thing for me instantly. Um, it's, it's much harder for me to find them like attractive in that way. Yep. Yep. I hear that <laughs> consistently that like masculine presentation is like, Oh, I have to really, really like it. Like I have to, I have to really like this person. It's like the barrier is much higher. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that consistently from men and women, except for gay men that are only interested yes. in masculine bodies. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Story checks out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in terms of being like queerly in love or loving queerly in like a more romantic sense, have you, have you had any of those experiences? Um, I have, I have loved queerly, I believe, but I wouldn't say that I have been in love Mm -hmm. and I definitely differentiate between that because, you know, and this is just the way that it reads in my brain of, of love is, is. A much more all-encompassing thing and can involve like even just like I'm so glad you're a human in your life um kind of love to like I just care about you so much and I you know your happiness is important to me and I and I want to you know do kind things for you and I want you to feel good and and that kind of love and having you know someone sort of high up on my list of priorities of of you know when I, I feel like service um, is definitely one of your primary love languages. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, acts of service is almost entirely my, my primary love language. Sure. I'm, I'm also into touch and words of affirmation, but yeah, I am very much a service oriented uh, person for that. And, but yeah, I haven't had that like passionate, like, like it hurts not to hear from you kind of right. feels for that is a really intense kind of love. Yeah. Like to literally be at a point where you physically experience pain when you're not with someone. Yeah. To me, that is like withdrawal from the hormones that your brain was giving yeah. you. Yeah. That's intense love. I've experienced that. It is intense love. Yeah. And I think because I was in a relationship that I sort of found my way into not that long after we became non-monogamous and it was a long distance relationship and it just started really flirty. And in fact, it was more just me. Like, I'm just going to practice flirting with this rando because I haven't flirted really with people in a long time, especially in a way that I was like trying to generate it going further than just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, Hey, like, let's just feel good. Um, 
And then like he and I just really hit it off. And then we just talked more and more and it just became, you know, more and more connected. And then we traveled to see them. And then the physical, like in person was just like exactly what we hoped it would be. And, and that just generated, you know, energy and, yeah, we were, we split up about a year ago and even like, I'm still reeling from that. And I think a bit like that, like first love that you have, the first polyamorous love that you have, mm. like I'm, I'm going through, you know, what a 14 year old goes through when things are, are devastated. And so everything that I've experienced in non-monogamy has been not intentionally, but like kind of compared to the feelings that I've, that I had for that guy. And so, yeah, nothing else ever matched up. And I feel like we didn't really ever, for me personally, I can't speak to his side of it, get out of NRE Mm -hmm. because like it was always like we'd see each other a few times a year and it was all long distance. So it didn't ever get out of that kind of, yeah, like desperate to hear from them, kind of craving like, oh, did I say the wrong thing? They haven't responded, like feels that you often have in in that new relationship energy. So I feel like I didn't really ever have that like security of just being like oh okay here we are i'm really in this relationship and i feel super secure mm-hmm. um and our e is amazing yeah it's it's fantastic and it can be so wonderful but it yeah it just meant that the feelings that i've had for other people have just never felt like that right and so i've sort of yeah it's hard not to compare that um, I do my best not to, but yeah, I agree. It, yeah. it can be really hard not to compare. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm doing better at not voicing when my brain makes comparisons. <laughs> yes. Of just being like, okay, my brain's making comparisons. I know that can lead to some bad places long term. Yeah. And I don't need to voice this to either of the people involved. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's very it's... unhealthy, potentially. Yeah, and, and relationships don't need to be the same, like, right. is the thing, you know, like, the, the super comfortable, stable love that I have with Flick, because we've been together, like, a quarter of a century, you know, um, we've lived our lives together, like, for longer than we lived them apart, and, mm-hmm. and you know, that kind of stability and, and solid relationship, and, and we're, we're incredibly fortunate in that we still have such a strong bond, and such a love for one another, and such, like, we really like each other as human beings, and we like spending time together, because, yeah, be, you know, anyone can be married for uh, ages, but a lot of the time, like, they're not happy, and they don't like each other or respect each other, and there's a lot of contempt and that kind of thing, and that's just not a piece of our relationship, thankfully. Like, we just happen to grow together in the right ways. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it hasn't all been rainbows and puppies, but it yeah, we just have like happened to travel the same direction as we've grown, which is, yeah, I feel very fortunate. Awesome. That's wonderful. I think that's like an ideal case scenario as you grow together and set apart. And I feel like his, like our love, despite the fact that, you know, it's, it's essentially hetero love. I think it's become more queer over time. And uh, I don't know whether that is, taking on something that I that I shouldn't like appropriating queer love in some way but I feel like the way that our relationship has changed has yeah I don't know it just it feels more queer and I feel like the way that we relate to each other is a way that queer people do do you mean uh, like less scripted and like less structured maybe and that both of us have had the freedom to really explore like our gender identity and like the way that we dress and the way that we present ourselves and and the kind of sex we've had you know um with a lot of you know it really became you know really not at all about like piv um our sex just changed up so much and that became a thing that oh yeah we'll we'll sometimes do but it's like that is not really the sex that we have for the most of it um and yeah the amount of of anal sex that we had but it was always me giving um and that just like shifting that relationship and that energy just really yeah i feel like our relationship has changed like in a really good way that way when you say it was always you I mean, I don't, I don't mean to pry or anything, yeah. but when you use the term giving for anal sex, is that the person penetrating or the yes, person? That's what I meant. Penetrating. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess pegging, but you know, that term is very gendered. So yeah. Um, so, and if, if Flick's gender identity doesn't align with that or pegging yeah. doesn't feel right, then yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty straight and pretty cis, but you know, it just like, it's just become 
less so over time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's wonderful. And it is, it is wonderful. And it's great to see him let go of a lot of that, you know, programming himself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've also received pegging as well. Yeah. And it's so much fun. And, and when we got to do it at play parties in front of people and, and, yeah, it just it was just really freeing and really exciting to have that. That be. is still scary um, for me. Yeah, and it took a long time for mm-hmm. him to get there. Um, but when when he did, it was yeah, it was really incredible. Like I can do I can do nails and lipstick in public. I can do femme because there's nothing derogatory or degrading about being femme to me. Mm. Like it's not like I'm taking on all these performative elements of femininity and saying ooh, I'm so naughty, I'm so shameful because yeah. I'm doing this. For me, it's like, no, I just, this is how I identify. This is how I want to prevent, present and express myself. Yeah. But with receiving anal sex, it's like, this feels degrading to me. Mm, interesting. Which is good in a sense because it helps me tackle my degradation fetish without having to dive deeper into depravity. Okay. Um, so in a sense, I don't want to lose some of the stigma around anal sex. Yeah. Um, because as I've destigmatized more and more things in my sex life and been like, this is dumb. Like, why do I, where does this even come from? Like, obviously this isn't like consistent with my beliefs. I've lost all these elements that used to make it easy to get to shame and degradation play. Uh So if I lose that with anal sex, I'm worried. I'm like, where do we go? Like, does it like, am I going to be like in a collar with people spitting on my face, slapping me? Like, yeah. Like at what point, (laughs) how... Not that there's anything even degrading about that. No. I almost find that's less degrading than anal sex, not because anal sex is even inherently degrading. Like, that's what's so funny. I've already started destigmatizing anal sex, and I'm like, no, come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that, that act is like the transgression is definitely part of the hotness. And, and for me, transgression has always been one of my biggest. Tell me more about transgression. Um, like, zingy, you know, going to get me all hot and bothered kind of. feels like um like do you mean the transgression against like hegemonic gender itself that yet any of it um you know and that's like non-monogamy like having friends that you have sex with Mm -hmm. and then you're just like at yoga and or like at a party and like you're just being friends but you like the two of you know that there's this thing that this boundary that you cross so like boundary crossing in that kind of way is something Mm -hmm. that has always been just so incredibly hot to me like Mm -hmm. i'm supposed to live this way and i'm going and And i'm gonna do all this disgusting stuff i've been told never to do yeah and in some ways um like being in non-monogamy for longer has again destigmatized has taken some of that um, yeah degrading or degrading like embarrassing or, um, or shameful taboo elements. kind yes. of elements out of it yeah and it's kind of become less fun yeah um and yeah and i and i know that like that happens to a lot of kinksters and you were just you know describing that so much that yeah it's become less like i i really enjoy it but it's not this like yeah like wild ride that it was i want to feel like what that. we're doing is wrong yeah like, I want to intellectually know everyone's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to feel in my guts that what we're doing is just disgusting. Yeah. Filthy in some way, wrong, shameful. Yeah. All those things are hot to me. Yeah. I'm like, great. So society thinks by making sex really disgusting, they're going to get rid of sex as opposed to sexualize everything disgusting. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, they really don't understand psychology. Yeah. Yeah. That's my perspective. So you would say that exploring queerness has like hugely positively impacted your life then yeah most definitely not and to lead you completely into yeah, an no, answer. No. um it, it has and it's helped me embrace who i am and it's helped me be out to a lot of people in my life that i wouldn't have been um mm-hmm. because i would have mm-hmm. felt like well it's you know a i didn't really feel queer enough until i was like actively having a lot of sex with with people in a queer way um and you know that's just so common um but it oh i lost my train of thought here um it allowed me to to figure out like who i am and and to embrace like you know exploring my gender and i in a way that i had never questioned before and and being out has allowed me to have experiences like my uh my niece um who i think was about 15, 16 at the time, 
because I was openly bisexual and, you know, my mother-in-law knew that um, when my niece was was having some questions um, because my mother-in-law had told her that I was bisexual, um, she came to me with questions. Oh, nice. And so I just got this message out of the blue, like, this girl wants me to be her girlfriend. Should I say yes? And I'm like, uh... I don't know. Do you like her? <laughs> do you feel good together? Like, like all these things. Like, um, you know, when you're with her, are you happy? Like, you know, right. all these questions. But Do you smile when you think it, of her? Like, those it, sorts of things. It just... I was just so happy. Like, I sort of, like, I teared up. And I'm still even thinking about it. Like, it's just so emotional to me because it it allowed her to, to have that freedom. And I think feeling that freedom in that, I started talking about my mental health in a way that I hadn't before. Um, and I, like I, you know, lots of people knew I was anxious because they met me. Um, but it was something that I, I did internalize a lot. And so, you know, when I started feeling just more centered in who I was, I was like, no, this is something that I need to share because other people feel this way and they, don't feel safe talking about it. So it just, yeah, it gave me this comfort in myself. And partly, I think also being in my 40s, like it makes a big difference. Like you get to this point and it's certainly not that I don't give a fuck because I definitely give a fuck. Um, but you just like, you know who you are in this way that like maybe some people get to way earlier, but I didn't get to until a few years ago. And yeah, it just like, I just like, I, I, I have this comfort in who I am that allowed me to, to be a lot more open and to be more vulnerable because I'm, I'm a person that tends to keep a lot of walls. Mm. Like I'm an exhibitionist in a lot of ways, like with my body and with my words and stuff. But like, I, yeah, I, but there, there is some really delicate heart junk that stays locked away. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I do not. I do not express a lot. And, and so I, I do keep a lot of, of barriers up. So it, it, it just like allowed me to like, let some of those down to maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> open the drawbridge a tiny bit. Um, that, yeah, it was just, it was freeing and, and lovely. Wonderful. How has being queer impacted, like how you view society or do you feel like that shifted a lot more when you sort of embraced feminism or did queerness do it as well? I think queerness definitely did as well, because I think once I felt part of the queer community, mm-hmm. I I saw the struggles much more and I learned a lot more. And, I, you know, I still don't know enough queer history at all, but it, it just started, it, I started seeing things through a different lens. And that has also impacted my feminism and allowed me to be more of a feminist. And when things shifted and and non-monogamy has actually really um, impacted Flick's feminism and had him just rethink so many things um, in the way that our relationship ran and his comfort with just kind of being the beneficiary of of my people-pleasing, you know, femme-coded kind of stuff. Um, and when he had to look at that, it really shifted his attitudes and... Yeah, it just like it just helped us both. I think we're just better people. <laughs> awesome. So that's covering a lot about orientation and queerness in the context of orientation. I'm curious when you first started suspecting that you didn't fit into the gender binary and you sort of started identifying maybe more as gender queer. How did that transition look for you? Yeah, it it it's only been in about the last year or so. Mm. Um, cause I think I got, I got one of those like Facebook memories the other day that I was like, I had a picture of like they, them as, as pronouns. And I was like, that sort of started feeling a little more accurate to me. And yeah, I, I don't even know entirely what brought it on because it was just, I was feeling these just real shifts in my world and my relationships and just questioning a lot of things in my life. And it ended up sort of coming up a little bit questioning gender. And I've always, I've always pushed the lines of, of what is expected as far as like masculine, feminine dress. Um, I, I run the whole spectrum to like from like super high femme to, you know, wearing like a three piece suit kind of thing. And, and so, yeah, it makes for a complicated closet, but um, (laughs) it, 
Yeah, like I've often dressed in like a suit and tie and and that kind of thing, or worn a tux to an event that people would have expected me to show up in a in a ball gown kind of thing. Um, and so I've always played with that in in just like my outward expression, but didn't really feel necessarily internally that shift. And when I started playing with it a bit more and started like occasionally wearing a packer and, you know, I ended up buying a binder and sort of exploring how that felt. And yeah, I, I think for a long time, much like the I didn't feel queer enough, I, I didn't feel like not cis enough to really explore that. And I thought it might have been, again, appropriating things that didn't belong to me. And I know what a struggle it is for trans folks and, and how much difficulty they, they have in their lives. And I didn't want to just be like this, like, oh, I like having a penis, you know, um, right. kind of thing. So I didn't want to... Do so trivially. Yeah, and yeah. and make their, their struggle feel like it's less, you know, big and, and difficult. Um, but when I had... I talked to one of my trans friends and they're like, if you feel like you want to bind, like bind, like it, that means you're, you know, you're queer enough, you're trans enough to Just want. the desire is Yeah, enough. like exactly. Yeah. And if that's, you know, if you have this desire to express yourself this way, then, then that's completely legitimate and, and sort of, it almost like gave me permission to kind of explore it more that way. And... Again, I sit in this like place where I'm like, I sometimes say like sish um, is kind of like, because, yeah. you know, I, I sometimes feel like a woman and then I get all the like, oh, well, I shouldn't be telling people to use they, them because like clearly I'm a woman. Um, but then like, you know, a few days later, I'm like, oh, no, I don't feel like that at all. So, you know, I'm like, okay, gender queer does make sense because I'm like not really sitting anywhere, especially you know, firmly. Mm -hmm. And I think that has also made the questioning a little more difficult because I'm like, well, I can't say for sure that I'm like not a woman. Um, but I, you know, I just like when someone calls me a woman, I'm a bit like, there's just sort of this yeah, discord. dissonance. Yeah. Yes, dissonance. Thank you. No, you're, you, that was the word I was going for. Um, <laughs> that like, it just doesn't entirely, it's like, well, it's not wrong, but it's just not entirely right yeah. and so that is where I've been sitting with it and and when I've seen friends um I think it's New York uh is it? crap they make amazing dildos that I can't afford um <laughs> New York Toy Collective or something like that mm -hmm. I think is the name of the company and they make these great pins that are like a circle and it's got like he and she and they and you can like put the pointer the to the different, you know, things. And, and that again, like, I was like, oh, okay, there are people that, like, feel like their pointer, you know, goes to different places on different days, and that that is, like, a legitimate way to be. Um, there are supposed to be insertables that are electronic, so that when you touch the insertables, there are sensors. Okay. And then there are sensors on the inside, like a field dough. Oh, yeah. But there are electric sensors that go off when the external oh, phallus yeah. is touched. That would be pretty incredible. Yeah, so you, as you insert the phallus in someone's yeah, body, you, would, get you the... would feel it inside your body as it goes into yeah, theirs. That would be incredible. Because I am someone who's lucky enough that I can actually orgasm from giving other people pleasure. And so often when I am when I'm the penetrator and I'm fucking somebody or even when I'm like, you know, doing hand sex or oral sex, like I can, mm -hmm. I can often just have an orgasm from That's doing amazing. that, um, which is incredible. But yeah, the idea of to, to not just have it be like the brain sensation that makes that happen, but like the really internal physical sensation would be pretty spectacular. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm curious how different social situations affect your gender expression and I, and, and mm. or identity, like relationship with it. Yeah, um, I would say yeah, for sure, like when I'm in like sex positive spaces, when I'm in queer mm -hmm. spaces, I'm much more likely to feel comfortable in expressing myself and asking for people to use they, them pronouns. But I find I'm still not entirely at the place where I feel like I can correct people, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. except in like really specific circumstances. And so that's something I feel like I, I yeah, I, I still need to work on. But yeah, when I'm at, you know, conferences and that sort of thing and, and you know, at parties with, a lots of, with lots of queer folks, like, I'm much more comfortable, like, asking for, for people to call me they, them and to express my genderqueer. But, yeah, when I'm 
like teaching Zumba to a bunch of like rich ladies in West Vancouver. Like, yeah, I'm she. Um, and right. I just don't really, yeah, it's just not something I would bring up. I have worn my baby uh, t-shirt to class and <laughs> nobody asked me about it. Um, and if they did, I would have talked about it, but it's, yeah, in those sorts of situations or, or at my other like vanilla healthcare job, like, yeah, it just doesn't feel like something that I have am, the freedom to be completely yeah, out of Yeah. Um, cause I just, you know, you have to make a living and if it's going to negatively impact your living, then, um, and again, I'm, I have the luxury mm-hmm. of being able to, you know, I'm very privileged to be able to make that, that judgment and say like I'm I'm going to take this off in this situation, right? You know, and I I wear like a you know button up and bow tie to work sometimes, and you know like people are just like hey nice bow tie, um, and so I you know I do definitely present um, clothing wise with with different gender with things, queerish stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and for a long time, I definitely I had the queer haircut with the one side shaved, and you know I like it's you know it's it's definitely i've i've presented myself in in much more queer ways um or that people in our community are like oh yeah okay um they see the flagging yes yeah yeah so and a lot of people wouldn't notice the flagging but they'd be like oh interesting haircut kind of thing right Um, but i know that i don't read as completely like oh this is just a typical person Um, like you know that people will notice that you're alternative in some way yeah but only the people who need to know will read you as how alternative. Yeah, yeah. And I have always been, I think our, our family was a bit odd. Um, and I think because like my parents were Australian and, and they moved to northern Canada. And so I grew up in, in this really small town in northern BC, but with people who didn't, didn't really fit in that. Which, which small town? Uh, Dawson Creek. Hi, my, one of my friends lives in Dawson Creek. Uh, I'm, I feel bad for them. Um, <laughs> it's, it's mile zero of the Alaska Highway. It is indeed mile zero of the Alaska Highway. Um, I've been there. I mean, it's, it's pretty. It's lovely in summer. Like, it's it's amazing. Big open skies. Like With very short trees. Yeah. Um, and, like, the days super long. Like, in the summer, 1130 at night, the sun's just kind of going going yeah. below the horizon. So, I mean, there's, there's good things about small towns. I would never live there, but... Um, so yeah, growing up in this like hockey and country music and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of conservative area, but with people who were just like super artsy and, and kind of, you know, didn't really fit in that, in that view. I just grew up with this different kind of thing. And my brother was like a total bad boy, a couple of years older than me. And so he, you know, did all the wild stuff and kind of, you know, broke through that, that ice for me, um, by being like a punk and, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. And I mean like punk rock as opposed to just, you know, being a punk, um, (laughs) and, you know, had the day glow green mohawk and, and, you know, the whole shebang. So like our, our family was always kind of like, oh yeah, they're, they're a bit odd. Um, so it allowed me to, you know, dress kind of weird and express myself in a lot of these ways that I, you know, I just did throughout my high school years. And even when we moved down to the Vancouver area, you know, just continued to do, um, and I've just like always felt comfortable being alt or like not entirely comfortable being normal and kind of following the yeah yeah, mainstream um just not following that has just never really sat with me right so when I discovered more about my queerness and my identity I'm like oh this actually does explain kind of a lot of stuff that I just hadn't been aware was present Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for that so the various different ways that you sort of connect with gender, how do you think that's affected like relationships in your life? Like, does your family know? Yep. Um, I mean, I only have my brother as far as like immediate family and he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, Like we just kind of, yeah, you know, we don't really have a relationship with a lot of judgment and, and because we don't, yeah, we only have each other. Then we really try to be, you know, as accepting as we can of each other and yeah he's just like yeah whatever makes you happy cool um and i think my mother-in-law was the first like pushback i got when i asked her to use they them as pronouns and she's like that's weird Mm -hmm. and i was like well it's really not and you know kind of talked about a few things and i'm like you know so you might 
you know, you know how to use the singular they, I said, because, right. you know, if we were having a conversation and said, you know, I went to the doctor today, you might say, like, what did they say? Right. Um, or, you know, there's some people, or, you know, there's someone's waiting over here. Oh, you know, what do they want? You know, like, you know, right. you know how to use it. And I was trying to explain this to her and she just just got her back up about it. She's right. like, I wouldn't say those things. And, you know, I'm like, okay. Right. You would say, um, you would say, what did he or she say? Yeah. And so ridiculous, you know, and I just, I was just like, okay, I'm going to leave this. But I knew that my niece that I had spoken about who felt comfortable talking to me um, about being queer, mm-hmm. I, I knew that she also was having some gender questions and was sometimes wanting to be they and, um, so yeah, I should probably call her my nibbling. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I felt like, okay, well, at least I've taken the first blow here. So if if um, she, they goes to my mother-in-law and, and expresses this, mm-hmm. she'll have heard it once and have, will hopefully have blown the negative reaction my way and I can handle it because, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm it allowed my, you know, um, my niece to be like, it just gave her a safety net. I felt so I was, I was good with that. That's great. And we've just never talked about it again. And some of these things are done, you know, generation by generation. Yeah. Various. It's unbuilt brick by brick. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm curious to dig a little more into the BDSM content because we haven't really touched on it at all. Um, did you, did you want to chat about, I'm trying to think of what we have covered in terms of BDSM. We talked about first first BDSM thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you um, identify within the context of BDSM? Yeah, um, I would say I'd say like my my real happy place is as as a bottom, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm not saying submissive because mm-hmm. I. I'm not particularly submissive. Um, I just like I'm I'm a masochist. I enjoy pain, but only the pain that I enjoy right. feeling. Um, right. So I I being, I'm being beaten on the cross, not splinters from the cross. Yes, and and I like you know I like thud, and if you want to hit me with with something that's got a lot more sharpness and um, that sort of thing, I'm gonna be like the sting. I'm gonna be like nope. Oh. <laughs> um, and so like I, I feel like I feel like with sting, the best revenge as a masochist, if someone is is giving you sting, is it needs to be bare bottom spanking, so you know they're destroying their hand. Uh, yeah, it's like. Because you know that there's so much pain in bare bottom spanking yeah. someone that it, it's a great leveler because you can hit someone with a toy or an implement and get ludicrous amounts of sting. But yeah. with a hand, it is very hard to, yeah. to yeah, work it, that it, up. It hits them as well. Um, so, yeah, it's like it's more it's very much about the physical sensation for me. Got you. And what about service, though? Sorry, I'm jumping all over you, but I'm just like curious. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just trying to get the thoughts in order here. Um, So, yeah, and I often think of myself like I I think of myself as a kind of a service top is like if I'm topping, it's very much as a service top. Like it's like, oh, this person likes all of these things Mm. and I'm doing that for them. So I can I can, you know, get in my my mode of being like, okay, you know, we're doing this. Um, and, and be a little controlling and a little, um, you know, put on your dom face. Yeah. Like, and it's, and it's not aggression and it's not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a sadist. Um, that part of it doesn't feel like that doesn't give me pleasure, but giving someone who likes pain, the pain that they want gives me pleasure. Right. Because um, it's giving them pleasure, which gives yeah, you pleasure. Because it's what they want. And so I feel good about that. And I, I had a really a cool experience. Um, we've gone a few times to this resort in Mexico with a bunch of non-monogamous folks. And this, this one woman had never um, been fucked with a strap on. And, you know, she had a bit of a crush on me and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, we can do this. And she's very much in a like 24-7 DS relationship with her dominant. Um, But I'd said to him, I'm like, you can't be any part of this because submission can set me off as a squick. And we can can definitely dive into that later. But um, I said... I need her to be like here with me and not being submissive to you in this moment. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm good. Like I just, you know, 
So um, he brought, he, he like brought her to me and uh, she was like so nervous and just kind of like all this. And I was just like, yeah, come over here. I'll fuck the nervous out of you. And um, so I can like, I can get in that mode, but it was really, it was all about her right. um, in that, even though I was being pretty toppy with her. Um, yeah, it was about, it, it wasn't for me. It was entirely for her. So. Yeah, I see that thread of service as a love language and yeah. wanting to do service for others coming through in topping them the way they want to be topped. Yeah. What about the service you do as an act of love for others? Do you ever consider that like a service bottoming where you're like bottoming for someone as an expression of service? Yeah, I don't know. That's not something I've I've looked at um, or thought about, you know, and there's, there's definitely probably elements to that. And I, I do... Like, I love being bossed around in bed and stuff like that. Sure. So, like, I, I I definitely have this this sort of battle with, like, submission and bottoming. Um, and, yeah, it became this this complicated thing for me because I initially when we were exploring kink, I thought I'm, total, I'm a submissive. Like, mm. I love people telling me what to do. I don't have to make the choices, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the, all this stuff. But the more that we explored it and the more that I spent time with other people who were submissive, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not that. Um, and I like I'm just I, I found like that I just had so many walls to where like I'm like, OK, I like this and I like this and I have this narrow little thing. And that just didn't right. really feel like submission to me right. um, because I'm like, you know, I'm only going to do these these limited things. And <laughs> I saw other people who were just, you know. Can giving I, their dominant whatever they wanted and I, I was just can I make a distinction yeah for sure so when I think about dominance and this may not ring true for everyone yeah but when I think about dominance and submission I think about three types and they're typically centered around power exchange okay specifically um and those three types would be the kind of person who comes home from work and falls to their knees yeah that, that would be like type one and type two would be the kind of person that come home comes home from work and you have an agreement that you will tell them to fall to their knees and they will and the third type of person comes home from work and is like, I dare you, like, make me go to my knees. Yeah. But, like, you can't just tell them. They won't go to their knees. They need you to grab them by the hair. Yeah. And pull them to their knees. But all three of those things have this idea of being brought from standing whoops, to a kneeling position. Yeah. It's about that release of control. Yeah. And it's not just about decision making. It's specifically about being in a, yeah, in a less controlling um, space. I mean, it is related to decision-making, but it's subtly different Mm -hmm. from a bottom who is performing service. So on the one hand, you have this idea of sliding from an equal level playing field into a place of submission. And in the other one, you may also be a submissive, but you are performing service for someone. And that can be done from the level of an executive assistant. Mm-hmm. Like a lot, of, a lot of people that thrive on service will do jobs like that, like an executive assistant position or even possibly secretarial work. Like the idea being you believe in someone's greatness and you are working very hard to help them perform at their best. Mm-hmm. And it's all about what they need and how you can share in their greatness almost. I mean, that's not the only reason, but... Yeah. But essentially build them up and assist them being this great person that you love and respect. Yeah. And that's subtly different from submitting to someone's will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the example of, of levels one, two, and three that you're describing, mm-hmm. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I stood all day at work. You want me to kneel? That's going to hurt. Like, right. fuck you. Right. Like, and that is my right. kind of reaction. Right, because it's not um, about dom-sub. It's more yeah. about, like, I'm tired, but I love you, and I'm willing to do these things for yeah. you. What would you like from me? Yeah, it's like, okay, well, you know, we can go make dinner together. But yeah, like, I'm just like, yeah, you just, I don't have that, that want to like, be like, oh, they want this thing from me. I want to give it to them. Like, it's like, no, I have right. these very specific limits along that. So yeah, I just realized that sub- submission didn't entirely fit for me, except in one situation where the um, the guy that I split up with last year because we had such an, uh, a, a relationship that I did never feel really secure and stable, mm-hmm. I started to kind of fetishize that a little bit. Oh, interesting. And then talking about the degradation and that submission, I started 
thinking about like fantasies about like being at a play party with him ignoring me and like fucking other people but I had to just like follow him around and sit there and watch him be with other people and then you know when he'd finish up he would come over and like dump the condom into my mouth Hot. and and get me to like clean it up and then we would like move on and like this would be a cycle that would happen yeah. um and like with him in that specific circumstance it was it was okay that was like hot for you that was like super hot for me and right. and unfortunately we did never get to have it happen um but like that is the only time where i've really felt that but it was totally about like fetishizing that insecurity and that instability and that feeling like he doesn't see me right and i'm invisible in a lot of these situations what an interesting um, way to attack insecurity is and, to be like what if i just sexualize the fuck out yeah, of it yeah and it was just it was such a strange thing for me to to feel but i've just never I know people I, I, who, who would absolutely be on board with yeah, that. Yeah, and but it's just not something I feel like I would probably ever feel about anyone else. It was just like that specific situation. Right. Um, you know, whereas if Flick wanted me to do that, I'd be like, I don't know, like maybe you can come give me the condom, but I'm going to sit comfortably over here and maybe right. like jerk off or something. Like it's, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of those two are temporary power exchanges. Yes. And for some for some people, being in a temporary power exchange like that, maybe they're in a collar, they're being walked around like an animal, <clears throat> and the idea is they give oral to the partner that's going to, to the metamor that's going to enjoy their partner. Yeah. Um, and then their partner has them clean up everything afterwards yeah. with their mouth. That may not even be arousing for that person in the moment. Yeah. The play they're doing may be difficult, it may be hard, and then when they go home, they may get off to it for a month. Yeah. And you describing that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I, yeah, the kind I definitely fantasize about things like that. So yeah. even though I'm like, I'm not into humiliation, like I, I am in that really specific service oriented way. There's a difference between um, humiliation and degradation. Yeah. And there's a difference between like really deep service as well. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it also relates to pleasing all these other people yeah. and almost sacrificing your needs because your need itself is the pleasing of the other people. Yeah. And that's often the way that I describe service. It's like you can sort of get primary needs met by doing a thing. If a person's like, I want to do this thing and the other person's like, that meets needs for me. But then you have this like enthusiastic willingness space mm -hmm. um, that is I'm getting my service needs met by doing something that doesn't meet primary needs for me. It's almost like you have a secondary need you're getting met. Yeah. And that's often the way I will describe service to people is it's service if what meets your needs about it is that you're doing it for someone, essentially. Mm -hmm. Or that in doing so, other people get their needs met and that's what is the need you want to get met. Yeah. Yeah. But I've I've had the experience where, like, I, ha I have this sort of weird squick reaction, which I... I still haven't quite figured out where it comes from and I like never want to yuck anyone's yum or anything, but we were going to visit some friends and it was put forward that, that one of the women um, perform this coffee service for us in the morning that she would come over oh, and cute. she would undress and she would, she would perform the service and, um, and, and serve all of us. And I was just like, no, like I just felt, I felt sick to my stomach and I felt so upset. Um, and I was like, I was just like, no, this, this can't happen. And so he, um, the friend we were going to visit, he's like, well, is it okay if she only serves like me and Flick? Um, and I was like, no, because I felt like I would never look at them the same again. If, wow. I, if I saw them letting her do that. And like, and I, you know, in my, in my rational brain, I can work my way through it as, as understanding like this is her thing like she likes this she doesn't feel yeah but this isn't about her this is about yeah you. and so but i was trying by trying to get myself to like feel less stressed and upset about this idea i was like no like she, she wants to do this like this is her so it's it's not but i just couldn't go past that feminist um yeah, I feel like you need to take a couple steps back from even being in your rational brain and like come back first to like regulating your body so you're not in that panicked, like upset, super squicky place like, yeah. to give your body what it needs to sort of come back to a calm or centered place and then to move sort of from regulating your body into like reconnecting with these people, mm -hmm. like reconnecting with her and her humanity and with them and, and just kind of like trying to ask those questions about like, 
what is it in me that is so upset? Like what needs are like desperately not getting met? Mm -hmm. Like why is this feel whatever it feels, right? Maybe yeah. it feels dangerous or maybe it feels like degrading to the point where you're like really concerned for this person. And that was very much like, and I know that I always try to intellectualize my way out of feelings because <laughs> I, I, feelings are inconvenient. And I just, if I could think about them rationally enough. and I work. saw you doing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah from I, one person who does to another <laughs> it's like oh no you caught me um but yeah it was very much like i felt like she was being hurt by right. this and i th partly you know she was a younger woman um oh, okay. she she was asian um mm. and like so I just, it felt very fetishized and yeah, like yeah yeah like this you know hot young asian woman doing this service and i just like I just could not. Yeah, I hear you. Um, get past those feelings, and so you know they were. Oh my they god! Were that, like... Yeah, no. Okay, I see more of what you're saying now. Because like, so as a as a person of color myself, like, even if that's not inherently the motivation, like the amount of the amount of subconscious fetishes fetishization, and like, especially being part Asian and having a partner who's part Asian, um, it's just like, oh yeah, that's. That is like uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And and especially the idea that like once I was uncomfortable that she would do it for the two cis men. And I'm assuming they're both white. Um one of them is Hispanic, but um very much codes as a white dude and lives his life as as a white dude essentially. Like accessing um, accessing what I would probably access, which would be yeah, that the privilege sort of, of of being light skinned. Yeah and white passing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just, I just, I, I could not see my way through that. Yeah. No, that's fair. And so she, like she did, she came over and she made us all coffee, but she was clothed and it was this fun, like it felt very equal exchange as we talked to each other and we watched what she was doing and it wasn't like her coming and presenting, like she sure. just was doing this thing for her friends, which you know, I was super into, um, and she was sharing this thing that she loved because she was like such a coffee nerd and mm, and mm -hmm. was just so into that. But like, it just it needed to feel like we were all, you know, equal people in that in that view. She like burground all the coffee and then like did like bodum service or something. Um, no, it was even this this fancier Ooh, like was she it like siphon. I think so, and like weighed Ooh. it all out and had the air compressor thing and the temperature on the kettle. Ooh. And yeah, it was very, very. I see. Um, yeah, I would. Give, I would give oral sex for that. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I really like my coffee. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was a great experience. But yeah, I needed to feel like we were. We were all. Yeah. Equals in that, and I get it. And so that is where, sort of, my submission squick that I kind yeah. of deal with that that yeah i often see that as someone being hurt even though when i sort of walk it back i'm like no she like and even if she is being hurt she wants to be hurt in that way right um you know but although yeah. like racial stereotype play i'm always so yeah. cautious about like bdsm is one of the few places in society where we can do the riskiest edgiest most dangerous play and still be risk aware about it yeah and there are people who do race play in a way that I do not think are those things. It's not my place to judge them, but I just don't want that shit publicly in my community. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that that was part sure. of their It wasn't their part of their intention. Yeah. Um, yeah, that wasn't it. But it just it just happened to be. The, these things all aligned up and you were just like, oh, yeah. I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. Yep. I respect that. And it's totally fine to just not be present for shit like that. Just be like, I can't be around that. Yeah. Like, it's too upsetting. Yeah. yeah. And we don't have to process through 100% of traumas that we've been through. We don't have to try and recover from being steeped in a racist culture or a culture that fetishizes young women or a culture that fetishizes submission in women or like, mm -hmm. we don't have to recover from that and get to a place where we're okay with, you know, everything. It's like just being aware of it and just understanding where it comes from and saying, like, it's totally okay to just say, like, I'm not comfortable with this relationship constellation, or I'm not comfortable participating in this type of interaction. Like, yeah, that's totally okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not that you need my fucking permission. <laughs> I'm saying it more for the audience. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and it's complicated, because 
a lot of these things are, are wonderful and, and so good for people. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, there's, there's big feels that can come up around it. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, there's, it's so funny cause people will sometimes criticize. They're like, why are you feeling like offended or upset on behalf of someone else? And it's like, but I'm not like, I've lived in this racist society as well. And I've seen these things and I'm very uncomfortable with them when they play out as very racist. And even though this may not be at all, it is very much reminding me of things I've seen in society. This is for me. It's not for them. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not offended on behalf of that person. I don't feel comfortable in the space. Yeah. Yeah. All the feels. All the feels. That is an excellent bookend for part two. Great. Thank you so much, Kat. Thank you. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.